But seriously, seriously, we have just two amazing souls, amazing souls that um, I'm just thrilled. The, the first to, to speak with you will be Dr. Michael Milner, and he has a uh, center down in Clearwater, Florida. He is a oneness um, teacher and meditator and has been to India multiple times at Oneness University, where many of you know I have gone, and Taz and Biana and, and uh, uh, others of us. And so he's going to share with us um, his experience and then also facilitate a meditation time today in the sanctuary at 1 o'clock. So um, I'm sure he'll inspire you to come back. And then followed by our beautiful Sarah Canal, um, who was one of our first um, licensed spiritual counselors here, um, in the, uh, was here from the very beginning of Bodhi, and has, um, as I've known her from the very beginning, um, listening to, to her presence of her divine, very obedient, very disciplined in, in allowing her dreams to um, um, never be sacrificed, but always to be guided by spirit. And uh, she is now one of the very, very, very few authors who, with the first book, lands on Good Morning America, The View, Nightline, Oprah, and Bodhi Spiritual Center. I mean, who gets to do that, right? <laughs> so she is going to talk to you about her journey, her process, and the inspiration that she now carries everywhere she goes um, from this walk that she has had that has not always been easy at all, but she has always um, been my hero, my shero, because she has demonstrated to me the faith and the turning to God in the darkest nights and watching, watching and allowing God to turn that which looks like death into rebirth and a glorious life. So she's here to share all of that. She also has a workshop this afternoon to take you deeper into your own experience. But right now, please welcome Dr. Michael Milner. Namaste. Namaste. Typical Indian greeting. I like India. I stayed away from it for most of my life, but I've been going a lot lately the last few years. And uh, I've learned in India that I can wear pajamas all day long, (laughs) which is great. These are actually called pajamas. They're very popular in southern India where it gets to be over 120 degrees Fahrenheit and high humidity, too. But uh, I've... Thank you for inviting me here. What a beautiful community and such wonderful energy here. Wow. So um, I spent most of my life in professional spiritual ministry in all different denominations, Protestant and Catholic. I started out, my life's been really backwards. I started out as a young Taoist priest studying under an enlightened Chinese master, and then became a Protestant Christian, and then became a Catholic Franciscan. So, I mean, really, you know how screwed up I am. But, uh, uh, you know, my purpose in all of that, as I was led through that strange journey, was to share the, the contemplative, mystical roots Uh, of the Christian tradition. Anyway, I decided religion was for the birds at a certain point, which is no, not meaning to insult the birds at all. But after, after more than 30 years in, in, you know, Christian ministry, um, I went to work as a carpenter for three years. Again, I got it screwed up, right? Because Jesus did that the other way around. But uh, I loved working as a finished carpenter, just loved it, and, um, uh, and I had no intention of being involved in externally in spiritual work, uh, just quietly. And then I found out about this amazing thing called diksha, 
which uh, most of you probably have heard of. Anyone not heard of Diksha ever? Okay. So a number. It's a Sanskrit word that just means blessing. And Diksha refers to a transfer of sacred intelligent energy or divine grace from an awakened being or a saint to their followers. And it's existed in all spiritual traditions throughout human history. You know, the Christian thing of laying on of hands for the Holy Spirit or healing, that's a form of diksha. It's in all the mystical traditions, including Taoism. So I'd experienced that in my youth among the Taoists. But it, at the same time, it's, it's maybe the rarest of blessings when an awakened being would transfer their energy to their followers or students to initiate an, an awakening process in them. Not all awakened beings have that gift. They all have their special gifts and graces. So it's been a really, really rare blessing, and you'd have to be somebody's student or follower for years you know, to qualify. But we live at a time where oneness, the oneness blessing or oneness diksha is available to all of humanity all over the world, regardless of what you believe or don't believe, people of all faiths, including scientific atheists that are not the slightest bit interested in spirituality. But they are interested in higher brain function and and higher awareness. Diksha initiates that. Oneness Diksha is just being offered to everybody all over the world. Millions of people are giving and receiving it. How many Diksha givers do we actually have in this room? See, they're they're everywhere these days. (laughs) Anywhere you go on planet Earth... There are diksha givers. Mainland China included, Indonesia, they're everywhere in all, all cultures and faiths. So it's a really neat phenomena. I encourage you to experience that, and I think it's given here uh, frequently. So you can, you can find it. Everyone's experience of it is different. So I found out about that from a meditation student of mine. I thought it sounded pretty far-fetched. I experienced it. It was awesome. And so here I am in my pajamas on this platform talking about <laughs> India. And I've been like more than 10 times to India, and I'm getting ready to go again. But what I do besides uh, give diksha and, and offer courses as a oneness trainer is I'm, I'm what we call a oneness meditator. And there are a few of us, uh, actually there are nine of us in North America and 60 of us scattered around the world that share a very special blessing. It's a little different than Diksha, but it originates from the Oneness University in southern India, um, which is the same place Diksha comes from. It's a spiritual school that people go to from all faiths from all over the world to learn about awakening. And um, so in the Oneness meditation, the Oneness meditator is kind of by grace taken into a very, very deep state of, of just absorption and just being dissolved in the divine presence. And these oceans of divine love and energy just begin to flood through. Totally grace, I assure you, (laughs) because I have no idea how it happens. Um, But we're going to be doing this here this afternoon at 1 o'clock, if you can join us. It's just a little over an hour long. The actual oneness meditation is about 15 or 20 minutes. And you... I don't say a word. There are no teachings, no philosophies, nothing. I just sit there with my eyes open, and you sit there with your eyes open, and something just comes flooding through us that is just phenomenal. And what it is is the divine presence, and it will just take you deeply into uh, the connection with your own divine, with your own inner divine presence, and just 
just flood you with, with that grace and, and deepen your connection to your own divine. So join us if you can. You'll love it. But this is such an exciting time on planet Earth because we're living at a time where there are more awakened people. And I mean people that have a shift has taken place where there's no longer any separation on the inside between them and others, between them and nature, them and the divine source. They're in oneness without a separate self. There are tens of thousands of people on this planet now, and every day there are more and more. There's never been anything like this in known human history. And it's, it's, it's shifting the collective consciousness of humanity. I, of course, these aren't just all easy times, but I'm telling you, the word is it's getting better and better. And this is just an exciting time. Yes, it is, to be alive. So I know if you're here in this community, you're part of the global awakening. So... Um, It's exciting to be with you today. Much love to all of you. Namaste. Thank you, Mark Anthony. Good morning, everybody. So awesome. Thank you, Mark Anthony, for that beautiful introduction. Kim knew that you were bringing it today. um, We knew it was a chick Sunday. We said the goddess is in the house. We have to do it. So um, we've had such a gift today of having a lot of different beautiful layers to our service. So um, I'd love to take a moment with all of you to just call in whatever every person here needs to hear. I absolutely know we're here by divine appointment today. And... um, Spirit is going to be efficient and streamlined, and um, who's ready to have a shift? Yeah, right? That's what we get to come. I love it. I love it so much, and I'm so honored to be here. So um, each of us are going to hear what we we need to hear now. Um, I love that our theme this month is spiritual community, and the theme this week is talking about vision, a vision that we have that goes from vision to reality and what is that like. And I love that it's about community because what I'm going to talk about today is um, the idea of vision. I'm going to talk about my vision of being a writer, of being an artist. Um, Last time I talked about my vision of being a mother and just written about that in my book. So I'm going to talk about what it was like when I did my vision on my own. And then what's happened since I do my vision in spiritual community and in community of artists and other people. And um, and we'll just sort of see what spirit has to say about that. Feel free to plug in uh, whatever your vision is. Because whether it's to be a lawyer, a doctor, a teacher, a philanthropist, a thought leader, a minister, a mother, a father, um, well, healthy, vital, whatever the vision is, um, my, my hunch is that we all walk through a lot of the same joys and challenges along the journey. I think that I wanted to be a writer really, really early, like from the beginning. I remember five years old being given, either by my mother or my grandmother, a hardbound book with blank pages, like no lines. I was like, the no lines. And I remember just filling it with sketches and poems. That's I loved writing poems. And, um, and, and how amazing it felt to me that there was this book with these blank pages that I could write in, but it was like a real book. You know, there's that thing of it's like a real book that I'd only up until then looked at other people's books. And right there, even from the beginning, there was this clear desire because I kept filling books and books and books and notebooks. And there was also this judgment. Like, I don't think those drawings are all that good. You know, you're, you're really not that good of a drawer. And 
I don't think I had a lot of judgment about the writing right away, but as time went on, I knew my passion was there, and there was always what Jung calls the critic, you know, the inner critic, the, the in coaching, we call it the gremlin, whatever word we want to use. There's this human ego voice that says, you know, you're not good enough, it's not good, who's going to want this? There's that voice in, in so many kinds of visions. So as I went on, that flame of I want to write, you know, was still really strong. And in eighth grade, I remember we had some kind of um, creative writing section of our English class. And I remember loving it and writing all these stories and science fiction stories and family stories. And then even long after that module was complete, I was, you know, still writing these stories and sharing them with my friends. And somewhere by high school... I, you know, was reading books because I love to read also. And I was reading books, um, you know, more adult books above my age level, whatever. And I started to think, I started to see there's a pattern. And here's how it's supposed to go. It's supposed to go that you have this uh, child who's sort of different and doesn't quite fit in all the way and feels alone. And I've checked those boxes. I was like, okay, good. I'm, I'm on track there. But also, a teacher of some kind was supposed to come to this person and say, you're, you're amazing. Your stories are amazing. Your writing, your art is amazing, and you're destined to be a writer or an artist. And that never particularly happened with me. I got great grades. I was doing, but no one took me aside and sort of, I was, my locus of my vision was external. What do other people say I'm good enough for? What do other people affirm in me? And I remember by high school thinking, I guess that's not for me then. You know, I'm not good enough. Like, if I was good enough, that would have happened. Or if I was meant to be a writer, that would have happened. And and it's a completely fabricated lie that the mind made up. But I really was thinking, you know, was believing that voice that says, you're not enough. Who do you think you are? Blah, blah. I'm sure this is something maybe that's come up in one of your visions. So just a little bit, right? Because after nine years of sitting in my private practice sessions with clients of any kind of vision, it's like this voice says the same thing. It only has three lines. It's, cr- it's like, who do you think you are? You're not good enough or you're not whatever enough. I mean, it's, it's like, it's so incredibly, it feels personal, but it's simply, it's simply a race conscious idea is the term we would, we would say here. So by the time I got to college, um, I didn't even contemplate majoring in creative writing or journalism. I didn't even consider it. I became an English major so I could read what other people wrote, which is fabulous preparation for being a writer. But I was denying to myself this dream and this vision. And I remember taking one creative writing class, and the teacher hated my first paper, just didn't like it. And it was like, I dropped it. I dropped the class because that was my pattern. When I did my vision on my own, it was I have to be perfect. I have to know what I'm doing before I've started. People have to immediately think it's amazing because I'm so, like, unable to own inside me that I have this calling that comes from a true divine place. I didn't have that language and that consciousness, nothing. So I just, you know, let it go. Well, but the thing about visions, and I don't know if this is true for you, is then it keeps wanting to come out. So there's like the, I'm not good enough, but I yearn. I'm not good enough, but oh, I'm on fire with this. It's like this incredible Ernest Holmes in a thing called you. It's like our libido for life. You know, it's just this life urge, this creative urge. And so I remember um, going, I studied abroad at Oxford. And this is where community started to happen because for the first time, I was with a lot of people who were creating and they were artists. And I so I was in the closet as a writer. I was not telling anyone that I was writing, but I wrote like 100 pages of this idea of a book that I had. And it felt so good. It's like the joy and the euphoria. I 
couldn't have showed that to someone if you paid me a million dollars. I couldn't imagine. It was like, it's too hard. And this is what happened when I did vision on my own. It's too much. So I can't actually go for it. I can't take those next steps. I put it away. When I, uh, I, then I got a job in advertising so I could work around creative people doing things, um, and not actually, you know, Julia Cameron calls it the shadow artist. So I stepped into that role and secretly would, oh, and this was my community at the time. So this is an important point, And I was thinking Mark's theme. I was in community all along the way. My community at that point was people wishing, dreaming, fantasizing, talking about writing, creating, doing things in their life. That's, that's what was really going on. And then being jealous and bitter about seeing people who were actually living their vision and feeling really sad and, oh, I hate myself and I hate this job. You know, and advertising can be a completely rewarding creative experience. It just wasn't my vision. So I remember um, hearing David Sedaris, an author I love, and he said, you know, I really became a writer when I started writing and stopped drinking about it. And I, I loved it. And um, yeah, David, I'm grateful I wasn't actually drinking about not writing, but I was jealousing and fantasizing and wishing and pretending. And, you know, it was all the like, because the fantasy can be fun. And I'll talk about that at, at towards the end. So I was, um, you know, I was in this state of, of just inner conflict because there's this dream I want so much, but everything in me is saying you don't deserve it. And I'm thinking the world is saying you're not good enough and all of this. And then um, I got engaged to my husband, Bill, and we had the opportunity to move to England. And I couldn't work for the first almost a year that we lived there because I, until we were married, I didn't have a work visa. I was like, this is it. This is what I wanted. When I graduated from college, I said, I want to move to England and be a writer. And I took the job in advertising here. So here I am. I, I have this opportunity. I can't do a different job. And I sat down. I actually wrote an entire book. I sat down. I wrote a book. I revised it. It was a fiction. It was a very unveiled, not even loosely veiled autobiographical novel. It was no veil. Um, but it was a novel and I did it. And I had a little more spiritual community because I had people in my life who were artists who were aspiring artists. So they were starting to take some actions and I was starting to take some actions. And I remember writing this whole book and spirit put into my life, a woman, an author there that I'd met. And she was on her like eighth book had been really successful, bought a house in the country, all this. She said, Oh, I heard your writing. I'll, I'd read something you wrote. And I just thought, oh, my God. I can't. It's like the agony of needing to show this to someone. It was so hard. And I said, I have a little more community in my life. I'm going to go for it. I sat down with her. She looked at it, and she said, um, you know, you can write. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to throw up. You know, it's like I don't think I was breathing. And she said, you know, I, I actually think you could get this book published, and here's what I would recommend you do. And she started, by the time she got to sentence two, I couldn't hear a thing. It was like... I was shutting down the world. I couldn't, because I was self-taught, I'd never been able to let in enough community to actually take a writing class. Or, you know, it was like, I don't know what she's talking about with subplots and dex descriptions and blah. And the thought of doing that work, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I put the book away, and I moved on. So fast forward another two years, I was on retreat up in the north of England. I worked with these amazing um, shamans and shaman healers there. 
And we went into the woods, and we'd done this long vision quest. We're going to do a vision quest today at the workshop, but this was a, a several day. And we went into these deep woods in the north, and we, were, we had this pack of cards. And when we got to this place where we were supposed to really be tuned in, um, we could pick a card. And the card I picked said, what is your true heart's desire? And it was just there. It was right there. I didn't have to think. I didn't have to anything. It was like, write, write, be a writer. And and I just got there. You know, I was letting in more community. I was with these amazing healers. I was connecting with more people. It was like, this want, something is wanting to happen here. But it's so hard. You know, it just felt so hard to do it. So, again, the, the parallel between how much community I let in and how much I was able to move towards my vision is directly proportional. It's exponential. So this was at the time when my husband and I found out we were moving back to Chicago. And I connected. I found out about the Bodhi Center completely synchronistically through Sherry Coons. I don't know if she's here today. And um, I came right when Bodhi started that very first year, as Mark shared. And I started having a community here. And I started taking classes. And I started connecting with people. And I started saying, when I started hearing things that I always wanted to be true, that something in me knew were true, like our vision draws to itself what it needs to be fulfilled. We are, we show up, we are available. The vision knows what needs to happen. The how is none of my business. The taking time to ask spirit, what do you want to do with me? And then taking action from that place. That's, that's the work. And I started practicing that here and, and giving service here. And I started writing a new project and I was, I was obedient to that project. And I will tell you, it was, it was very funny because I'm letting in more spiritual community. I am visioning regularly about my life. And um, every time I visioned about this, these books I wanted to write, I would see, you know, getting a traditional publisher, having an agent, that whole thing. And then every time I did an informational interview with an author, every time, which is what I recommend to my clients. So I found people who might have written a book or know someone, and they'd say, oh, you know, publishing's dead. It's not going to, you know, no one's getting book deals. No one's getting an aid. No, it's, it's your best option is self-publish, which self-publishing now is a really awesome, amazing, vital, legitimate thing. It just wasn't what the visioning was saying to me. And I'm going, oh, my God, you know, here I'm, I'm now doing the writing part, but at some point I have to do the submitting part, the putting the book out there part. The, and it just still was so hard. So I had a group of women friends. We'd get together every Friday. We would vision, which is a meditation practice that we do here. We would share action steps. We would pray with each other, and we would future pull, something that we do a lot in um, workshops here, and keep listening to the vision. So um, to get to kind of more current where we are today, I realized I'd read all these, I started reading about writers. Like, how did they get published? And here it was. There was a script again that I did not fit. The way you get published is you know people in publishing, you're a celebrity, or you were a journalism major and have a lot of connections at magazines and publishing houses. No, no, no. I have none of those things. So have you had this moment in your vision where someone's like, here's what you do. Here's what you have to, and it's like, I don't, I didn't know anyone. I did not know anyone in publishing. I did not know any agents. I did not know people that had an agent. So I started just praying and visioning and being in my spiritual community. And someone I knew, knew an agent in New York. And he said, here's the deal. I don't know her well. I have one call. I've got one call. 
It will not get you an, a deal. It will not get you represented, but she will probably take my call. Are you ready? And I was like, oh, okay, no pressure. You know, like, and, and, oh, and he's like, and he's like, oh, no, and not only do I have one call with her, but I have one call for anyone I know. So, like, if I call in this, this call, this is, you're my one, and I was like, oh. And then I said, here's the thing. I knew all the people in my practitioner class and my sacred circle and everybody I was with would say, can we say it? Hell yeah. Like, yes, you know, yes, I am. So I stood and I breathed. I said, yes, make the call. And this agent uh, agreed to take a call with me. She said, send me everything you have. She wanted everything. She wanted the, the, the draft of the book. She wanted a book proposal, which I had written because living my vision means taking those actions, not laying on the couch watching Bravo and saying, oh, I'd love to be a writer. And, you know, really, really doing it, taking classes, developing the craft, making it my spiritual practice. That's what I do with my art. So I met with this agent, and she said, I think there's potential for me maybe to work with you. So this is not a, you know, hugely effusive kind of thing. Um, here's what you'd need to do. And she started outlining, and it was like, oh, my God, this is like that other time. She's going to say all this stuff. It was a lot of work, a lot of restructuring, a lot of rewriting. And I couldn't do it. Even still, I have all this community. of all, I could not do it. And I was sitting with some wonderful spiritual people um, a couple weeks later, and I outed myself, because that's what I do in spiritual community. I don't do the vision by myself. I show where I'm weak, where I don't know, where I don't have an answer. And he said, sounds like you need more support. And I said, oh my God, um, I can't, I can't, um, you know, how many more classes, how many more, you know, and it's like, I kept thinking doing the vision on my own is about support, needing support as a weakness versus the way you know, it's the way, it's the joy, it's the fun. So to be very brief, so we can um, wrap up here in a moment, I did the work. I found, a client of mine had a, a, a editor she knew in California. I found out if this woman was available. She worked with me for six months. I flew to New York. I had the proposal. I met with this agent, and she said, I'll think about it. <laughs> and so there was another, you know, it's like, and this is the thing with the vision. It isn't always the instant gratification. It rarely is with stuff for me of, like, writing an art. So we, she did end up working with me. She is my agent now. It's been a phenomenal, and every step of this book process is letting in more people, editors, publishers, publicists, media people. It's expanding and opening, and I truly do feel like I have had a shift that that is, that is spirit's joy. Spirit wants us to do it with, because then I've gotten to be part of all these other people's visions and help and support them, and we weren't meant to do it on our own. And when I did it on my own, Again, I fantasized about being a writer. The fantasy is fun. We don't have to do any work. No one has feelings. We don't have feelings. We don't have to grow. We don't have to expand. It's convenient. It doesn't cost anything. But I love the way Mark Anthony says this. It's eating the menu instead of the meal. And you could say, well, the menu has no calories. The menu's pretty. The menu's available. Like, the menu doesn't nourish. The menu doesn't have life. The menu doesn't sustain. The menu doesn't feed others. And I think that our visions, we think they're for ourselves, but I think they feed others. They feed others in that loaves and fishes way that we can't even imagine. And Lynn Twist says, we have to put some skin in the game. If we're going to be people that live a vision and don't fantasize about a vision, we have to put some skin in the game. So I'm going to end with a couple of very quick quotes 
that really moved me about this idea from vision to reality. The first is poet David White. David White is an amazing mystic as well, and he says, anything that does not bring you alive is too small for you. And the fantasy doesn't bring us more alive. It gives fantastic instant gratification. I love instant gratification. I love it. My ego loves it. The spirit never, never chooses that. So anything that does not bring us more alive is too small for us. Then Lynn Twist just lays it down. Living our visions means we have to put some skin in the game. Most of us think that freedom means to keep our options open, stay loose, stay available. And often that strategy does give you a little space temporarily. Eventually, though, keeping your options endlessly open becomes its own prison. You can never choose. You can never fall in love. You can never marry. You can never take the job. You can never really discover your destiny because you are afraid to fully commit. And I know that on my own, I couldn't do it. I wanted to so badly. I wanted to, but I couldn't do it. But when I brought in community of my artists and my tribe and my spiritual friends and practitioners Things opened up, and I could do what I could not do before. And so I'll end with this quote from Rilke. Most of you probably have heard it, but let's close our eyes and let it fully wash over us and go all the way into the cells of our body. And this is the note from the universe about you and your vision, whatever's been burning in your heart, whether it's known or unknown, it can come forth now. The moment one definitely commits oneself, providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance which no man or woman could have dreamed would have come his way. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Begin it now. I love that so much. This afternoon, 1.30 to 3.30, we are going to actually put this into practice. I love Bodhi because we don't just talk about it, which is fun and exciting. We, we really live it and take action. So in uh, January, we do a visioning workshop with vision boards and things, and we'll do that again this year. This afternoon's workshop is going to be some other spiritual technologies, some other things that I use in becoming a writer and a mother and in all areas of my life. We're going to do it together And whether you want to get clear on your vision or amplify and embody your vision, we are going to join together today and do that together in community. So I'd love you to join us. Thank you so much for having me today. Thanks. Sarah Canal. Oh, yeah. We're going to move into prayer. I was just ready. I was ready. Um, let's invite our uh, spiritual counselors to stand and to anchor the space, as well as our uh, core council. I always love to have them stand also. And the rest of you, just turn within. Take a nice deep breath, because this prayer is for you. Lots of messages coming your way today. So you don't want to miss them. So get out of your head, into your heart, and just open. That's your only part. 